guys, George and Lenny. Lenny's kind of slow, causing George problems. So George walks him out in the woods, tells him to look out yonder and picture the pretty little house they're going to live in one day. And he shoots Lenny in the back of the head. Well, that doesn't sound like a happy ending. Hello, everyone. Matt here, and welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today, I'll be looking at episode 604, entitled The Substitute. This is the 107th episode of the series, and there are 14 to go. Just a quick feedback reminder, you can always say hello to me on Twitter, where I'm Looking Back Lost. Send an email to lookingbackatlost at gmail.com. Leave a comment on the webpage, lookingbackatlost.podbean.com. Or leave a message on the listener line, 732-707-1815. With that, let's now get into the Wikipedia summary for this episode. In the 2004 Flash Sideways timeline, John Locke arrives at his home after returning from Australia on Flight 815. He is greeted by his fiancée, Helen Norwood, whom he is set to marry shortly, in a wedding also apparently to be attended by his father. Locke returns to work, where his supervisor, Randy, confronts Locke about Locke's failure to attend a company conference whilst in Sydney. Locke attempts to apologize, but Randy abruptly fires him. As he leaves the building, Locke comes into contact with Hugo Hurley Reyes, the owner of the company, who refers Locke to a temp agency that he also owns. At the temp agency, Rose sympathizes with Locke's handicap because of her own battle with cancer. Rose denies his request to work at a construction company because his handicap will make this impossible, and eventually finds him work as a substitute teacher at a school where Ben Linus also works as a history teacher. In addition, Locke tells Helen why he lost his job and admits that he went to Australia to go on a walkabout but was not allowed to do so. Helen encourages Locke to call Dr. Jack Shepard, who previously offered to evaluate Locke's condition. Locke declines to do so because he doesn't believe in miracles and wants Helen to love him for who he is. They reaffirm their love for one another. In the 2007 original timeline, at the remains of the statue, Ilana and Ben discuss what happened to her companions. Ben tells her that the man in black killed them all, including Jacob. Ilana, who is visibly upset, takes some of the ashes of Jacob's body and informs Ben that the man in black is now stuck in the form of Locke. Outside, she tells the remaining group, including Son and Frank, that they must travel to the temple for protection. Son insists that they must first bury Locke's body and travel to the survivor's graveyard to do so. They hold an impromptu funeral where Ben delivers a short eulogy and apologizes for murdering Locke. Elsewhere, the man in black in the form of Locke attempts to recruit both Richard and Sawyer for his quest to leave the island. Sawyer immediately realizes that the man in black is not Locke because Locke was always scared and the man in black is not. He separately promises each of them answers about the island. Richard refuses and Sawyer agrees to travel with him. While in the jungle they see a young boy. The man in black is surprised that Sawyer can see him as well, whom the man in black chases. The boy tells him, you know the rules, you can't kill him. At this, the man in black becomes angry and loudly declares, don't tell me what I can't do. 
phrase, of course, spoken by Locke in the past. At this time, Richard speaks with Sawyer, claiming that the man in black's true intention is to kill everyone on the island, but is forced to leave before he can explain further. Locke leads Sawyer to a cave, inside of which is a set of scales holding one black and one white stone. Locke takes the white stone and throws it into the sea, referring to it as an inside joke. Locke leads Sawyer deeper into the cave, where there are several surnames written on the ceiling and walls. The names include his own, Jarrah, Shepard, Reyes, and Quan, referring to either son or Jin. Several other names are scratched out, and the man in black crosses out Locke. Additionally, the six names correspond to the numbers 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42. He explains that they were brought to the island by Jacob as candidates to replace him as the guardian of the island. Man of Black claims that Jacob has manipulated the lives of all the candidates in order to bring them to the island. Sawyer now has three options. Do nothing, to accept the job and protect the island, or to leave the island with the Man in Black, who claims that protecting the island is pointless. So it concludes with Sawyer agreeing to leave with him. With that, let's now get into my thoughts about the episode. A curious episode, to be sure think that it's so lock heavy it's so kind of in the in the mold of walkabout that it's possible that it can fall flat because it's not walkabout which perhaps is the greatest episode of the series or certainly i think we can agree is is uh at least a candidate no pun intended but probably the the winner of the best uh, non-finale episode at any rate the previously unlost uh, section opens with a rather heartfelt reminder of Juliet's death, a reminder of Smokey as Locke, a reminder that Smokey is disappointed in all of you, and a reminder that Locke is dead, but not dead in sideways. The episode proper opens with a long shot in a happy neighborhood, certainly setting the scene well. Then we get a close-up of a van door opening. That is uh, the elevator device that starts to let Locke's wheelchair down. Well, of course, it is almost all the way down. We are not happy at all to see that wheelchair-bound Locke get stuck on the lift. Things, I think, get all the more uh, sympathetic towards him as he falls to the ground, then gets hit by the sprinklers coming on. That Locke laughs it off, that he appears to be free of anger, is a small detail that we see, but it almost gets obscured by the much larger fact that Helen... That Helen comes to the door. Now, I will admit, the first time I saw this episode, there was a little... Um, I had to think back as to as to what had happened to Helen. Uh, the fact that she dies um, uh, off, off camera, outside the story, um, was, I think, not particularly well cemented by the show, in part because if she died in the time that, that, uh, that Locke was on the island... Um, or the time that he was, you know, experiencing the time jump, jump, courtesy of the donkey wheel. You know, we didn't see it. There really wasn't much of a chance to mourn. He went to her grave. That was it. It was kind of more a tying off of one story as opposed to a, uh, oh, uh, you know, a story moment in and of itself. Uh, nonetheless, something didn't quite feel right seeing her. And indeed, we find out that it's because uh, she is... Uh, <laughs> She had died, and now she's back. Um, of course, for first-time viewers, there's also the notion that she wouldn't have died uh, yet, given that that took place uh, you know, well after September 2004. 
Um, the flip side, though, is for first-time viewers, it's something else that is different, something else that was not as it was uh, before the plane first felt turbulence in pilot part one. Anyhow, with Helen coming to the door, from that we go to a quick cut to Locke soaking in the bath while Helen talks about their blissful uh, wedding plans. Here, the rage-free Locke becomes more evident, um, and things almost get uh, doubled as Helen finds the card from Jack and suggests that, uh, that Locke take the free consult. At the notion that Jack is his destiny, uh, Ellen, uh, pardon me, Helen definitely, um, you know, is pushing that possibility. And the idea of Jack and destiny is something that, that you know, as Helen leaves, uh, Locke just kind of lets his mind wander almost as though it sounds familiar. That brings the conclusion of the flash sideways and the brilliant continued connection, kind of, uh, of the show going from one character in Sideways to one character on Island. It is continued. Here, it is intentionally mangled a bit. We go from Sideways Lock to Smoky Lock, indeed in smoke form. It's such an entertaining scene to have that point of view shot from Smoky flying through the air. And just when it seems like they're taking the cheap route, you know, quick, fly a helicopter over around somewhere, maybe you already have the helicopter sh shots, you know, surely you you shoot the camera for for all, you know, maybe for, I don't know, 10 minutes worth of film as you're shooting what ends up being 10 seconds worth of, uh, of overheads, you have all this footage sitting around, snap it together, uh, you know, add some smoky sounds, hey, it's a cheap solution, the show then does this wonderful amazing little pause where Smokey looks at a window in othersville it is of course sawyer and juliet's uh, home and sees his reflection just enough to say "Ooh, you know this sure enough this is smoke monster form by the way i'm reminded of the email that i read a, a few weeks ago was it from maureen i apologize if that's not your name i think it was maureen though uh who pointed to the uh, the lost encyclopedia um and how how what was it that that smoky is kind of uh, uh rage incarnate unthinking uh, i would suggest this scene here where where smoky is looking for someone to to help him in his rather complex plan of figuring out how to get around the different rules and whatnot um the fact that he's he's zipping along fine perhaps as a, a, a as a bird or a creature of some sort might go on but that that he pauses at the window because of course it's pausing visually for our sake but the the internal purpose for smokey is that he hears sawyer playing music we'll learn later that sawyer's is is drunk um it does show a reflection there if it was just a reacting creature it would say people aren't supposed to be here people haven't been here for a while attack attack anyhow uh the flying around continues and the show has this exceedingly easy return to Locke form. Point of view looking at the ground, and there's kind of a pop on the screen, and then Locke's feet appear. No fancy morphing, no fancy particle simulations, just pop, and then Locke's feet are there. With that, Smokey walks to a man-sized bag that gets lowered from the tree, revealing a, a battered and desperate-looking Richard. Um almost 
excessively battered, as we'll talk about in a moment. Um, but first, Smokey says it's time to talk, and the teaser act concludes. With that, we get the title card, then Locke at work. It's apparently, to my eyes, the same work with the same angle of his cubicle, albeit this time we have the shot of him wheeling in. This time we see that there's kind of a, a modified keyboard of sorts, uh, bringing it a bit uh, farther out from the desk. Um, uh, <laughs> to think how, how Walkabout would have been different if we had that brief moment of him wheeling in. Anyhow, uh, with that, Randy Nation's boss extraordinaire saddles on up and seems pleasant enough. Hey, this is different. Hey, Locke is actually doing okay at work. Until the dialogue turns to Locke being caught in the act of having been sent by the company to a conference that he didn't attend. Randy blithely, casually declares Locke fired, steps away, uh, gives him a little sarcastic salute, and the sideways scene is over. Uh, We return to Smokey and Richard, all set to share information. It's exposition time, and uh, they indeed share quite a bit of information. Richard, I'm sorry I hit you in the throat and dragged you off the beach, but I had to do something. What do you want? What I've always wanted, for you to come with me. Why do you look like John Locke? I knew he'd get me access to Jacob, because John's a candidate. Or at least he was a candidate. What do you mean? What do you mean a candidate? Didn't Jacob tell you any of this? Any of what? Oh, Richard, I'm sorry. You mean, you've been doing everything he told you all this time, and he never said why? I would never have done that to you. I would never have kept you in the dark. And what would you have done? I would have treated you with respect. Come with me, and I promise I'll tell you everything. Are you sure about that, Richard? Because people seldom get a second chance. I'm not going anywhere with you. All right. It's exposition, but it's certainly a necessary, uh, necessary scene. All the things that we, you know, that we get from it. Smokey's motive for taking Locke's form, the nature of the candidate, Smokey's pitch for those he wants on his team. Uh, it's it's just a terribly terribly important scene. The clip concludes with Smokey distracted by what appears to be a blonde other, bloody as well, uh, and also disappearing just as quickly. Is of course the first instance of young Jacob. Story moves to Ben wandering back into Jacob's room uh, inside the foot, where Elana is crying, and Ben fesses up that Locke killed everyone in there. This, of course, is generally true, although uh, there's the outright lie when Ben tells Alana that Locke killed Jacob as well. Uh, with that, Alana takes some of Jacob's, Jacob's ashes, of course, ashes, the ash lines that we've seen, not dissimilar, and the scene concludes with the notion that Smokey Locke is absolutely recruiting. Thus, indeed, the story moves to Smokey Locke recruiting. He's at Othersville, where he finds a drunk and mourning Sawyer. The act concludes with Sawyer saying that he thought Locke was dead. Smokey says he is. After the act break, Sawyer shares booze with Smokey, 
who seems nonplussed and vaguely unsure what to do with the hooch. Sawyer, uh, rather amusingly, is not shaken that Locke should be dead. He mentions ghosts and time traveling as both possible and, dare I say, reasonable explanations. Uh, as drunk on whiskey as Sawyer is, the old con man sees through Smokey immediately. He declares that this simply could not be Locke because this man in front of him is not scared. It's an interesting turn on philosophy uh, at this point. Smokey offers the answer as to why Sawyer is here, or offers to answer, rather, as to why Sawyer is here. Sawyer recounts the plane crash, the bad raft, overloaded chopper. But despite these plausible answers as to why he is there, Sawyer takes up the offer to follow Smokey Locke uh, nonetheless. I think that's it, it's it's a very... I was going to say it's very Sawyer in this episode. It's not a Sawyer-centric episode, of course, but it's it's Sawyer at his most um, self-dependent in this episode. And that, of course, is a note that we conclude on for the episode, but uh, not quite yet. Instead, the story moves uh, to the flash sideways with fired Locke finding a car parked next to his. It is a really, really nice touch. It's wise, in fact, that... that this car parked next to his is presented in close-ups so that it's not immediately clear that it's Hurley's yellow Hummer. Also, we're starting to see a rollout of Locke's deep-seated anger. He fumes, then he tries to open his uh, ramp to the Hummer, or onto the Hummer to scrape the door, but the ramp breaks. Then Locke throws his keys, and just on cue, with you know picking up on this little hint from all the way of season, you know, back into seasons past of Locke working at a box company and Hurley owning one. That comes to fruition as the boss meets the, meets the newly fired worker. It's it's not a big moment that Hurley owns it. I, it had been discussed so many times before, but it's just nice that they bring that connection together. Um, Hurley's kindness overfloweth here. And Locke is quickly charmed and disarmed, and things even improve beyond that. Happy Hugo gives Locke another job opportunity at his temp agency and reminds him that things will get better. Sideways over, Locke's body is looking pretty ripe, as commented by uh, Lapitas. And they add to it where there's some sort of creepy crawly on him that gets shooed away. I don't know if it's supposed to be a crab or a lizard or a spider but it's at first you think oh it's just some sort of prop there it's going to be you know dead unmoving creature and then it skedaddles away anyhow uh ilana gives some marching orders for frank and son and ben off they go to the temple though says son not before burying Locke. it's at this point in watching the episode about halfway along if not a bit past it that it just felt incredibly zippy. It's one of those episodes that, as I say, it moves the ball forward. It's not a lot of particular intrigue, though there's some, but it's not It's not uh, a grand, grand mystery. It's just chewing through these details, setting things up, moving, moving, moving. At any rate, back to Smokey and Sawyer, the latter of which gets a few choice questions about exactly why he's not hanging out with his temple uh, dwelling pals uh and then sawyer sees the blonde boy jacob very much to the surprise of Smokey, 
and takes off after the boy, ultimately catching up with him. You know the rules. You can't kill him. Don't tell me what I can't do. What comes next is anger, pure anger. It seems to bubble up from a place that seems very unlockian. Don't tell me what I can't do! It's absolutely a, a blinding rage that, that, of course, we know it's not Locke at this point, but, and it's also, of course, echoing the Locke line, but it just, I think it serves as a reminder that this is fundamentally not Locke. And again, that's no mystery, but it's just sort of, it's just sort of a, a darkness there through Terry O'Quinn's voice that, similar to the, 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 the look that Smokey had back in LAX, it's just a reminder that this is a whole other level of, of creature before us. Anyhow, uh, we move on to uh, not far away from where Smokey is and Smokey's rage. We have Sawyer raging himself as to where Locke is. When the secretive Richard wanders out to amp up the tension of the scene, saying that Locke isn't Locke and shouldn't be trusted at all, Sawyer shoots him down, but then... So quintessentially, Sawyer also doesn't sell him out when Richard zips away just before Locke reappears. It is Sawyer keeping his options open. With that, we sideways. Can I say sideways without flash sideways? I'm not quite sure what the grammatical rules are. But we sideways to Locke at a temp agency being kookily interviewed by the overzealous interviewer, played, of course, by Hurley's fake psychic. Nice return there for her. I remember she looked familiar and I couldn't place her when I first saw the episode. And then for it to be Hurley's psychic, what a what a nice, uh, I don't know. It, you know, it's nice that Hurley has surrounded himself by, uh, by the people in his life. And wouldn't he, you know, say, hey, psychic lady, you know, in the flash sideways, hey, psychic lady here, would you like a real job? Anyhow, uh, Locke quickly flips uh this interviewer in favor of her supervisor and it's rose yippee and i find it also so natural that rose would gravitate to hurley's happy sphere in this constructed reality what follows is an extremely appropriate conversation that they of course never had on the island the opportunity for wounded Locke and the dying Rose to talk openly and honestly about the limits of their fragile shells. With that, the story goes back to Smokey and Sawyer, and before they talk, Smokey makes the passing reference to Steinbeck being before his time. Wonderful little, uh, little clue there for us, although it only supports what we have suspected, the, the clothing that uh, that we saw Jacob wearing, some of the Egyptian iconography and the like. Anyhow, uh, Sawyer wonders what would happen if Smokey got a bullet to the head, which leads to a calm, plaintive explanation from Smokey that he is trapped, that he can hardly remember freedom, that he was once a man, and floats that it would be a shame for Sawyer to stop now, as he's so close to answers. That gives us a, a somewhat uncharacteristic a soft ending to the act, and after the break, Ilana and company are lugging Locke's body to the graveyard. Along the way, Ilana rather plainly states that Smokey is now stuck this way, a la Locke. 
maybe not a la Locke, how about looking like Locke? It's a handy little fact. Tad out of the blue? Yeah. Tad contrived? Eh, yes. But not altogether inappropriate, and certainly, you know, thus is the nature of exposition. With that, the show pauses for a bit, for Locke's grave to be dug, and though it feels like it should be a sad, heavy moment, like the other times we've been here, Boone and Libby coming to mind, it just isn't quite, there isn't quite the weight that we might expect. Ilana asks for someone to say some final words, and with that, in a ironic move, his murderer takes up the task. All right, I know him. John Locke was a... a believer. He was a man of faith. He was a much better man than I will ever be. And I'm very sorry I murdered him. Though the setting, the funeral at the beach, is familiar. Ben's words are surprisingly concise and heartfelt and most of all true. And speaking of truth, we get a bit from Lapidus. This is the weirdest damn funeral I've ever been to. With that, we get a crane shot of the dirt hitting Locke's body and move on to a sideways story where we hear the hatch system failure sound or, as it's actually known in real life and sideways life alike, an alarm clock. Locke is quiet and reflective, and you just really get the sense that he is apparently trapped by his infirmity. And then he starts to place the call to Jack's office. At this point, we simply must feel the tug of the story. This must be where things are headed. As first-time viewers, this is you know this is how the two guys are going to meet each other. But Locke hangs up and pouts to Helen saying that uh, he won't see Jack and that he's been fired. The wobbling, defeatist rage that we know of flashback Locke is present for a bit here. But the scene is broken up by a delivery. Locke's missing luggage, delivered fleetingly. Get this little view in that metal case that we remember so well from the episode Walkabout. With that, Locke fesses up, asking Helen to open the case, which this time, once again... It's filled with knives. What are these for? My walkabout. Your, your, your what? My walkabout. An adventure in the outback. Man against nature. But they wouldn't let me go. And I sat there yelling at them, shouting at them that they couldn't tell me what I can't do. But they were right. I'm sick of imagining what my life could be out of this chair, Helen. What it would be like to walk down the aisle with you. Because it's not going to happen. So if you need me to see more doctors, have more consults, if you need me to get out of this chair, I don't blame you. 
But I don't want you to spend your life waiting for a miracle, Helen, because there is no such thing. There are miracles, John. And the only thing I was ever waiting for was you. As Locke starts to rip up the card from Jack, the scene is clearly meant to be the counterpoint to episode 104. It's defeatist Locke admitting defeat. This is something that feels unfamiliar. We've seen him angry and unhappy with the situation. We've seen him inspired and happy with the situation, but we've never quite seen him like this. We've never seen him so honest, never so human, and never so faithless. Indeed, I'll add that the scene is only helped, of course, by the return of Helen. Uh, It's allowed by the otherwise busy actress Katie Seagal, who you might notice is sporting the black nail polish that she wears in Sons of Anarchy. And her presence is icing on the cake. It's an early reminder that love is what guides us in this show, and indeed in life. With that, the story moves to the edge of a cliff with Sawyer and Locke the edge of it and i think momentarily you get as a repeat viewer this this shock such a cliff is where we of course last saw smokey or saw smokey at the conclusion of the series that is to say uh there's a little hint of a ladder towards the the back end of the scene it is of course later revealed via a long 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 shot uh to be quite the rickety bamboo ladder that makes the scene scream authenticity and danger Uh, particularly as they start to climb down it, though careful viewing does suggest a little camera trickery with blue screen and close-ups that keep our heroes safe. However, it is, of course, never too early to just file away that the final Jack-Locke fight scene uh, was one where the actors had a a moment that was almost profoundly unsafe as Terry O'Quinn almost truly killed Matthew Fox. That's a story for another day. The scene here, though, It's all about tension and, of course, the question of Smokey's intentions. Uh, And both get amped up as Sawyer's part of the ladder breaks and there's all sorts of swinging and crying out and grab my hand sort of dialogue. But all is well as Sawyer and Locke enter the cave with uh, that black rock, small one, not uh, navel, uh, black rock and white rock held in balance until Smokey throws the white rock away. With the cave opening to their back, I'll I'll add, the green screening job isn't perfect. Clearly the cave is on a soundstage, but eh, oh well. I mean, if you're going to, you know, green screen light behind someone, it's it's asking for imperfection. Uh, What's going on, though, in the scene, within the story, this scale and, you know, a torch and whatnot, it seems endlessly confusing, almost perhaps capable of causing some mystery fatigue, which I think is something that season six at least on for my part while watching the show on its original airing there was this there was a bit of a mystery fatigue like you'd sit there and almost sometimes feel like you're going through the motions oh what could this be the numbers that are crossed out in the cave da, da, da. and it's just kind of like let me put it this way 
Lost was meant to be about 120 episodes over the course of six seasons. I think Lost was helped its first two seasons by the length of the season. Third season, they're, you know, experiment with it, as we've discussed before, essentially doing a fall season and a longer spring season. Um, the show ultimately was the show it needed to be. Longer in the beginning, shorter to- towards the end. And I think that we, uh, you know, as first-time viewers sensed it a bit here. Ugh, more stuff to, to unearth and figure out. Anyhow, the show does not linger on all of this. It quickly picks up as Smokey takes them deeper into the cave, torchlight revealing survivor names and numbers. We see Ford and Jarrah quickly visible, along, by the way, with the amusingly placed trope of bad twin, bad novel, tie-in fame. With that, we flash sideways to uh, the successful substitute, having the kiddies run sprints and... uh, Get ready to teach them amusingly about the human reproductive system. With that, he's off to the teacher's lounge where the bespectacled European history teacher Ben monologues about making coffee. It's nice to see he's kind of a a little general here as well. Uh, He greets uh, Locke as his gentlemanly equal. With that, the story moves back to the cave with a bit of heavy-handedness, but it's done just so everyone at home gets it. Sawyer reads the names, the remaining names, while, almost clip show style, we see Jacob interacting with Jack, then Jacob interacting with Hurley, and Saeed, and the Quans, then Locke, then Sawyer. The show's credit, at this point, Smokey makes a, a fair counter-argument to our instinct that Jacob is good. We indeed have just relived the string-pulling, the evidence of their supposedly independent lives being pushed and pulled and moved. But we also get the rest of the series spelled out for us, the search for the island's protector. That would be you. Why would he write my name on this wall? I never even met the guy. Oh, no, I'm sure you did meet Jake. At some point in your life, James, probably when you were young, when you were miserable and vulnerable, he came to you, he manipulated you, pulled your strings like you were a puppet. And as a result, choices that you thought you made were never really choices at all. He was pushing you, James, pushing you to the island. Why the hell would he do that? Because. You're a candidate. Candidate for what? He thought he was the protector of this place. And you, James, have been nominated to take over that job. What does that mean? It means you've got three choices. First, you can do nothing and see how all this plays out. And possibly your name We'll get crossed out. Second option. You can accept the job. Become the new Jacob. And protect the island. Protect it from what? From nothing, James. That's the joke. There's nothing to protect it from. It's just a damned island. And it will be perfectly fine without Jacob or you or any of the other people whose lives he wasted. 
said there were three choices. The third choice, James, is that we just go. We just get the hell off this island. And we never look back. And how do we do that? Together. So what do you say, James? Are you ready to go home? Did you catch there that there's a quiet desperation to Smokey's pitch, particularly towards the end? He is so powerful here on the island, but he needs help to escape what he has come to see as an awful, awful prison. And what's worse, at least for first-time viewers, is that it is completely believable, the, the hook that we're given at the end, the idea that Sawyer will walk down the path of darkness to support him. We're close, you know, as we move closer and closer to the end of the series, there's that very real possibility that some people won't make it to the end, that some people, you know, that we won't be happy with every last conclusion. Side note, I would argue that the flash sideways allow us to revel in the characters as we want them to be, not the characters as uh, well as they were in life. Anyhow, on that note, let's take a look at Lostpedia for the bits and pieces I have missed. First is that the title of this episode, The Substitute, has multiple meanings. The choice the characters must make to become a substitute for Jacob or not, John Locke becoming a substitute teacher, Locke's body on a Jira 316 substituting for Christians on 815, the man in black taking Locke's form as a substitute for his previous one. Anyhow, the second bit of trivia, Locke uses the same brand of alarm clock as Desmond did in Flashes Before Your Eyes. Either that, or they had the same alarm clock in their prop storage area. Anyhow, uh, inside the cave, next to the scales, holding the black and white stones, there is a stringed musical instrument, similar to a guitar, but shaped more like a lute. Moving on from Lostpedia, despite the barracks' years of neglect, Sawyer's use of the record player indicates that Dharma and their power grid is still intact as of 2007. Moving on, according to the official Lost podcast, Lindelof and Cuse have stated that Jacob's death very likely is what caused the Man in Black to be stuck in Locke's form. Penultimately here, for lack of a better description, the smoke monster has been described by fans as making roller coaster noises. In the scene where the camera shows the smoke monster's point of view, the cinematography closely resembles the experience of riding a roller coaster. And the last bit here from Lostpedia... Locke's dead body is finally buried after uh, being first seen 34 episodes in Looking Glass Part 2. There were 14 episodes between Locke's on-screen death in The Life and Death of Jeremy Bentham and his burial, which certainly has got to be uh, some kind of fantastic record. Anyhow, with that, let's take a look ahead to next week's episode, which is 605 The Lighthouse just when uh, we didn't have enough sort of metaphysical mysteries, we just lop it on right there. It's also going to be episode 108 next week, so we'll see what, what goodies come our way with that. 
Well, with that, everybody, thank you, everyone, for listening. I will add that uh, things are heating up over at the PH Geek Pop Culture Podcast that I do with uh, Pete and sometimes Justin. So certainly if you search iTunes for PH Geek, you can find that and some of the other projects that we have done. Uh, also, we've included an entry to our S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, which will be both standalone and uh, simulcast, simul-released on the pop culture feed. Uh, we have some great adventures ahead of us that the podcast will be talking about, going to a few uh, science fiction, comic con type conventions and the like. So certainly uh, take, a, take a listen over there. You can, uh, you, if you don't like to go the iTunes route, you can always go to phgeekpodcast.blogspot.com for a whole, uh, whole litany of episodes. Anyhow, with that, everybody, thank you as always for listening. I'm glad that there were apparently technical issues this week and i will talk to you all again next week for episode 605 lighthouse take care everyone and bye bye